dry weather, but you know, this time last month we were complaining about the fires. So yeah, there's no fires. The, yeah, there's no fires, or at least we're not getting the smoke from the fires because the fact that it's like raining, like yeah. uh, everything I can think of to describe this rain is not proper for radio or or podcasts even but you know we got to think about radio first um i think anything goes on podcasts so i could say something about like a horse on a pn on a flat rock or something but so speak of speaking of yeah uh we have a wonderful interview today oh cool uh, edward morris who's got a new book i mean depending on when you're listening to this, but it's coming out tomorrow, so you're probably there. Edward is a very articulate and passionate speaker. Oh, sure, yeah. So a warning to a a few maybe parents, there may be a few words that snuck by depending on how much you want to edit it. Yeah, I don't don't edit Edward Morris, no. I, I, I love Edward. Edward's awesome to listen to. Uh, I, I regret the one time that I, I gave him a free T-shirt and then had to skedaddle so I could make it to another panel. But uh, yeah, no, no, Ed, Ed, Edward's awesome. I, I I love having conversations with him, and I uh, love seeing him around at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. I love listening to him. Uh, uh, the best I can describe it is ranting and raving in, in an articulate manner. But yeah, because we love our articulate rants and raves. Definitely, definitely. And Art- uh, this new book, we'll talk more about it on the interview. Oh, definitely. Uh, it's decades in the making. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, All right. Uh, and then after that, we're talking about uh, conditions today. and oh, cool. I think. Who's got a new book. I mean, yes, depending on when you're yeah, listening yeah, to this, but it's coming that's out That's a pretty tomorrow, tall so order for there. Dungeons and Dragons, but yeah, there's there's a lot of conditions, but we can kind of stream through it a little bit just oh, sure, because yeah. the fact that, as you've talked about, it's just pretty much a series of pluses and minuses to your characters for a short period of time or unless until you get the chance to get to a church get to a healer get to uh whomever but yeah there's more to that than that so we'll be talking about that all right so right now we're gonna hit that theme song we're gonna talk with the men you're listening to kzom only on public radio Here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leanings. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. 
inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Malevolent forces upon us. Upon us. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. Oh, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Dave, how are you doing? Um, a little drier. I took the time of the theme song, uh, theme song was playing to, to dry my hair a little bit more. Oh, good, 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 good. All right. Good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Yeah, no, um, I went out for cough syrup and medicines and orange juice and chicken stock and flour and everything I need to make my noodles, which I, oh yeah, no, it's, it's early in the morning. I woke up uh, about four hours ago to make noodles and then uh, boil and then fry and then... Uh, throw into uh, stock with chicken, but no chicken chunks. I don't like my chicken noodle soup to have chicken chunks. I like it to be a clear broth, a super clear broth with noodles floating in it. And then you add like grilled chicken or cooked chicken in some way or fried chicken if you're feeling uh, a little fancy there. And... uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's how I like to make chicken noodle soup. And that's what the kids are chowing down on now. And I get to have some after, after, after I record this. So I'm excited for this to be over. Oh, well, good. Because <laughs> everybody, yes, I rewarded myself with English muffins and sausages. Ooh. But yeah, chicken soup is good for your body and your soul. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I had to run and get English muffins as well. Uh, A1 Grocery has a two-for-one right now on English muffins. So if you are living in Oleander or nearby Oleander, or if you are one of the people who survived uh, the ghoul infestation in Boring, Oregon, um, I don't care what the mayor says. We have to talk about that just for a brief moment. Um If you're down there, they also have a two-for-one special on English muffins and a two-for-one on marmalade.
marmalade and raspberry jam at their A1 grocery and taxidermy. Our A1 grocery and taxidermy also has that special going on. And also, let's see, they've got... That also applies to taxidermy squirrels. Yes. As well as yeah. English muffins. And the rare and delicious Welsh muffin. Yes. So, yeah, no, they've got a BOGO uh, buy one, get one on squirrel skeletons, uh, stuffed squirrels. Uh, also, uh, just anything kind of in that family. So, um, I don't know if chipmunks are part of that, but they're just saying, like, anything like a small rodentia. If, if you want one stuffed, if you want the skeleton, buy one, get one. Um, there is nothing like that in the meat department at all right now, but there is buy one, get one for buy one pound of ribs, get one pound of ribs free. So that's pretty nice. And that is pork ribs and beef ribs. Uh, lamb racks are not part of this offer. And hey, everyone, let's get into the show. Dave. about today with uh, Narlethotep? We are talking with possibly the, definitely I would say, top three most recognized version of Narlothotep. And one of the ones that was definitely introduced by Lovecraft himself. Sure. And that is the Haunter of the Dark. When I was, I probably read this first when I was 13. You know, I've got, you know, I've got ADD and stuff. Until I was like 15, I thought it was the Hunter of the Dark. <laughs> yeah. For the first couple of years as a, as a teenager, I thought it was the Hunter of the Dark. But it's the Haunter of the Dark. Um, so there are just sort of kind of like before. When we say uh, the Haunter of the Dark, we're talking about the short story. Sure, yeah. When we talk, when we say Hunter of the Dark, that's the entity. Um, and you notice that that Lovecraft doesn't reuse a lot of things. Mm-hmm. There's only one short story that is truly about Cthulhu. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he comes up as mentioned. Uh, you know, he's talked about in in the uh, star swan colonizing the earth is talked about mm-hmm. in the mountains of madness yeah but Call cthulhu is the only really cthulhu oriented story sure even if there's three or four stories about him in that one short story um narlot the depth though comes up a couple places okay uh, and most well, you know the the prose poem mm-hmm. which he is this feral-looking stage magician scientist, and we also see him in, in A Haunter in, in the Dark. Yeah. And in this form, he's kind of like a huge bat with 
the trilobe eye. Yeah. So trilobe eye is kind of um, it goes right down, divides sort of like an upside down Y. And I'm not sure if this was thought of independent, but the most famous trilobe eye is the Martians in the 1950s World War. Okay. Where they, the Mar- not only the Martians, but the, the ships also have that tribal body. Well, well, all right. Um, so it's the most, the most common. Um, hey, I'm sorry. Somebody just hit me with a quick question. I got to answer it. I'm sure. sorry. Yeah, don't worry so, about it. sentence you can cut that out or, or, or there my ADD kicked in so this trilobe eye is one of its most char- most rem- memorable characteristics um, and we see that I mean there's the magazines it definitely carries on um, like I said I've always wondered if uh, they came up with this for the uh, War of the Worlds, or if it was independent. Um, the other thing, and this one, I was so uh, to be honest, I I like the story a lot more now. I like the story a lot more now than when I was thirteen and first read it. Sure. Yeah. So the th- two things that sort of bothered me when I was thirteen was first of all, these books and everything were in this abandoned church mm-hmm. for decades. Yeah. Nobody graffitied on it. Mm-hmm. Now, Lovecraft doesn't state, but as an adult, I can sort of feed in. The reason, yes, that a normal church would have been graffiti. A normal church, you know, kids would have broken in and stole the books or something. But in this world, the church is protected by the spirit of Narlothodem. Yeah. Or uh-huh. And that's what he, he basically, I mean, he basically used his powers to keep um, people out until Robert Blake came. Now, okay. we think about, you know, because what happened to Robert Blake, and we'll talk a little bit about it, it sets in a chain of events. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh that lead to things like the creation of the atom bomb. Okay. Now, obviously, we don't see this in the 1936 story, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. That basically, Narlothotep basically prevented people from coming into that church and taking things one way or another. In fact, he even finds the skeleton uh-huh. there because it is Mr. Anne's will. Gotcha. The other thing, but I kind of get now, I kind of, it kind of bothered me as a kid that the Haunter in the Dark could be destroyed by light. Yeah. But, again, we don't know how much precognition the Great Old Ones and the Outer Gods have. Mm-hmm. But 
we can assume within maybe limits that the avatars of Narothadep were designed by him for a specific reason. Okay. And so he he maybe designed it. We don't we don't know his you know science or his physics, but at the very minimum, this is all part of his long game. Okay. And so he allows it to have this weakness because he doesn't really need it. It'll he can have this weakness and it'll still carry the story. And part two of the Honda of the Dark mm-hmm. is, of course, um, the uh, oh thing in this. And this is actually part three of a, a series of mm-hmm. books uh, or short stories. So the first one is um, the Shambler from the Stars. Yeah. Where Robert Block, who at this time was like sixteen, seventeen, basically has these creatures kill a fictitious version of H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. Lovecraft loves that. He, he's not as, he's as cool. So someone writes Lovecraft and says, well, you got to kill Robert Block. So Robert Block, basically, so Lovecraft kills Robert Blake off in The Haunter in the Dark. Yeah. Um, then about 20 years or so later, after World War II, after the first atom bomb is dropped, um, after Lovecraft has passed away, Robert Block writes The Shadow from the Steeple. Gotcha. And where this case, and again, spoilers for, you know, an 86 and a 70-year-old story, the throwaway character, Dr. Ambrose Dexter, who literally is a throwaway character. He throws away the um, shining trapeheathen uh-huh. uh, that brings forth the, the hunter in the dark. He gets possessed and he becomes this other avatar. Literally, his body becomes an avatar, another avatar, maybe the same, maybe related as the hunter in the dark. But he becomes an avatar himself of so if you think of these three stories together, especially the last two, and I don't think that, you know, Lovecraft didn't think, oh, yeah, you know, 20 years after I die or 15 years after I die, Block's going to tie this all together in a third story. But if you think of this together, all these things that happen in The Haunter in the Dark, the, the short sure. Hold on, Dave. I have to go outside and throw up. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. But if you think of this as Narlothotep's long game, uh-huh. that, you know, everything... And, and, and obviously, Block knew this story. This was a rare case where the Hunter of the Dark was dedicated to Robert Block. Lovecraft doesn't do that very often. Uh, almost exclusively, if he does... It's on the books he works with other people. So, Block knew this story inside and out. And again, I don't think he's ever said this, but he kind of ties up everything that's maybe questionable in The Haunter in the Dark in the shadow from the steeple. That we understand that these things that happened in that story are basically planting seeds 
for things like the atom bomb, World War II, a new form of, you know, an avatar of Malarthitan. So, yeah, you really, the three stories together, uh, Shambler's from the Star, yeah. the Hunter of the Dark, and the Shadow from the Steeple, really, if you can, read them together. But especially the last two back-to-back. Okay. And so that kind of leads the question, and I'm sure that there are in, you know, the role-playing games and short stories out there, what happened to the Hunter in the Dark? Did it become Dr. Dexter, or is it still out there? Yeah, no, I, I personally don't have a theory on that. I, I figure uh, something happened, and we're just not privy to it, and it's just out there. And, 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 and I'm sure that there are people who have written short stories on it, but Block didn't. Yeah. Block, Block never added a fourth story. Okay. Uh, Brian Lumley did something called Clock of Dreams about uh, about all this, but I haven't personally read it. I just know that it exists. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brian Lumley, great guy. Because of uh, Titus Crossfire, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, more than likely. And, uh, you know, what I know about... I've never read Brian Lumley, but I've hung out with Brian Lumley. Uh, he's a really nice guy, uh, lovely wife. Um, I lit a few cigarettes for him when back when I smoked uh, just a billion years ago, it feels like now. It feels like a totally different lifetime, but yeah, 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 no, no. Um yeah, uh, and, and in my opinion, and I have this opinion about many writers, I like his short stories better. But oh, like, sure. most yeah, writers, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's it's most most writers I love. I love their short stories. I don't love their novels. I I would much rather read a whole book of Stephen King short stories. Absolutely, a whole book. Like it doesn't matter who it is. It's like. I don't like people's novels. Short stories make a lot more sense than um, novels do. Like, as a person, it's like, I can understand a short story, but, like, a huge novel that, like, intertwines all these things and does all this stuff, it's like, that's not how life works, buddy. Um, But short stories always make more sense. Always make a lot more sense for me. Anyway... Uh, next, I think we're talking about uh, Horned Man, which is a Celtic uh, aspect of Narlethotep, uh, resembling a human male with horns of a stag. Uh, it can only be seen under the influence of hallucinogens. And this, I think, believe, came from the role-playing game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, Keith Herber, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, Return to Dunwich, or Dudwich, but yeah. And, and, and the Celtics, of course, you don't have, um, you know, the the Huntmaster, or Henry, sure, yeah. or Cineros, or, um, but yeah, I kind of got the feeling, too, and I, I haven't read this particular module, that it was kind of maybe just another version of Satan. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 Satan with uh, uh, antlers. It's it's uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 the uh, Celts Celtic version of uh, Satan. Um, but also, and, and, and not that the 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 horned man of Celtic mythology. No, like, no, I just no, got because no. like when I went online and you know not all that the horned man, all the pictures were looked like you know Satan. They looked like a, a, a well dressed guy with um, little horn nubs. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you can do a lot of stuff with the horned man. With uh, Narlethotep, uh, with with a lot of this stuff, and um, like you can have it uh, be an avatar for a lot of different cultures, based off of like what kind of horned creature they have. Like the horned man of uh, of Finland is going to be different than your horned man of like South America, of like your horned man of Brazil. Or your horned man of Nubia, or your horned man of like uh, Tasmania. I mean, it's or the horned man of Oregon. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was hoping you'd be like horned man of Nubia. Why? They'd probably have little well, goat horns. They would. They would. <laughs> I'm, just not, I'm just, I'm just not on the pickup today. I know. But, yeah, so it, it, as far as I know, this version of this particular mask only appeared in the role-playing game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But I feel like you can kind of, like, take this aspect and, like, do a lot with it. Like, Horned Man of the Rocky Mountains is going to have big old curly horns and, like, hang out on, like, real rough cliff sides and such. I feel like it's kind of like somewhere between Pan and Satan is what the Horned Man is. Um, if if you have to like take hallucinogens to understand who it is, you have to think about places where goats and hallucinogens are both found, and yeah. uh, which is everywhere, and uh, make something of it. It's 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 like. Um, if, if you're in a city, you still have to, like, think, well, there's still goats, there's still horned creatures, there's still whatever, uh, in the surrounding areas of a city. A city takes place in a place where, uh, you know, wildlife used to inhabit until, like, if you're in America 200 years ago, uh, if you're in, like... Germany, what, like 500, 1,000 years ago, but you still had goats. You still have goats in some places. You go someplace into the Middle East, it's been like, what, uh, 500, 1,000, 2,000 years since goats have roamed around and such like that. Or you, you go to less developed places, um, like anywhere, anywhere where there's like a less developed place, and you're going to find places with goats, and you can just kind of, like, pick and choose what kind of goats you're looking for. But uh, not necessarily goats, but, like, horned creatures, cows, uh, elk, uh, musk ox, uh, water buffalo, uh, moose. Like, if, if you're, like, uh, 
in 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 northern Canada, Alaska, whatnot, the Yukon, um, like the horned man is like probably going to be totally different, but it's a person creature that has a defense mechanism built in that probably has local lore to it that people base stuff off of. You know, it's like it's it's a creature of burden. It's a creature of defense. It's a creature who lives high up there, but it's always a creature related to some kind of, like, uh, it's a creature who's known to reproduce a lot. It's a creature who's known to have horns that, like, stab a whole bunch of things. It's a and, creature and, and of and majesty. It's stubborn. Yeah. It, it, it can't be. It, it's difficult to control. Sure, sure. Uh, it, it, uh, generally, though, I think it's going to be, like, something that's, uh, like, a little bit more wild than, like, domesticated. Like, you're not going to have, like, the horned man of cows. You're going to have, like, more, like, horned man of, like, wa water buffalo. Or you're going to have, like, horned man of... You know, like a white stag or something stag, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I I think like the concept of like a white stag or like ooh, what if it's like a black stag, like a jet black stag or like a jet black water buffalo who like roams the rice paddies and like you know consumes the flesh of young children. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff like that. Um. Yeah, horned man. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I I think and and definitely and and maybe lastly closing is the modern version of devils or demons have horns. Yeah. You know, we so we, how many you know Halloween costumes did you see with the little tiny horns there? So this automatic sort of assumption yeah. that there's wickedness mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily from playful wickedness to downright, you know, massacre wickedness, mm -hmm. but there's, there's sort of this assumption again, it kind of ties it back into this modern concept or I don't mean modern concept, but the modern interpretation mm -hmm. of Satan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, everyone, that has been us talking about uh, Hunter in the Dark, Horned Man. Uh, Hunter in the Dark. I did it to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hunter in the Dark fault. and Horned Man. And you can even do a Horned Woman. Uh, no one said that Narlethotep always has to be a man. Um, horned woman, like, people would, like, see a woman with elk horns in some parts of the world and be like, hubba hubba, you look like Trubba. And, you know, go for that stuff and be seduced by Narlethotep. I, 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 you know, it's like, who's to say that some of these quote-unquote witches, uh aren't necessarily Norlethotep, but, you know, uh, anyway, that's that's something else to talk about in the future. We need to talk about D&D &D after this commercial break. And after interview with Edward R. Morris. Oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. 
The day before the election. We may need something to read during the election. And the, I got the, I got my promo copies on Halloween morning. <laughs> oh, cool. All of these little synchronicities. Okay, well, if you're ready, then I'll go ahead and start. I just one minor thing I have to grab if I remember what to do with it. Starting that without my deep pen. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can start up now. Thanks for your patience with me. Ah, no problem. <laughs> so, DB has stepped out of the room for a little bit, and in his place is Edward Morris. Hey, Edward, um, maybe if you could tell our audience, I know you've been on the show before, I believe, but maybe you could uh, introduce yourself. I've been writing science fiction and horror professionally. Since, well, I've been, I've been a writer my whole life, but I've been doing it professionally since about 2004. My first sales were uh, to a uh, British magazine called This Way Up, and uh, the one of most of note, the one that they really uh, called the breakout was a little short story about John Lennon shooting Ronald Reagan in 1980. It was called Imagine, and Interzone bought that. Interzone are like my new best friends lately. I've been through several iterations of the magazine as a fan and a reader and as a contributor. And yeah, lots to say about that, but that's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll make sure. I was nominated for the Pushcart Prize in Literature, the Risling Award, and the British Science Fiction Association Award. I have few over 150 publications, not of course 150 short stories, but 150 publications, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 stories. And they've been in six languages so far. The most recent one was a, an Egyptian fellow, a doctor named Ahmed Al-Turki in uh, Alexandria, Egypt, that just translated my story, Jihad over Innsmouth, from the Book of Cthulhu 1 into Egyptian Arabic. I was real stoked about that. Oh, really nice. Yeah, kind of eat, sleep, and breathe the craft of writing. I've been involved with several different literary scenes in Portland over the years. The Lovecraft Film Festival are well acquainted with me. I was taken under the wing of Joe Pulver very, very quickly, and we all miss him very much. Bug my yeah. Well, and pinch my cheeks and go, honey, you're taking your vitamin D. You look so good. <laughs> yeah. But that's real short all over the map bio. <laughs> it's a good one. Now, you've got a new book coming out. Um, probably a couple days after we release this on November 7th, right? Correct. So, and it's called Alphabet Lightning? Alphabet of Lightning. It's the first book in a series called There Was a Crooked Man. The series is one that I started when I was 11 years old, and I mm. could not be prouder of it. But yeah, the book is called Alphabet of Lightning, and the series is called There Was a Crooked Man. Um, so... You started it 10 years ago. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of curious because, you know, I have a lot of projects left over decades. And, you know, I think about dusting the dusting them off. How does it change when it's a when time has gone by? 
I kept it around through so many different stages of psychological development. I thought that it would just drift off and it would be something I was no longer interested in. I've had this happen with a bunch of stuff where I'm like, why did I even do this? It's like you wake up in the morning and you go, what was I thinking? <laughs> but that never happened with me. There were enough people that were interested in the mechanism of the work and the concept of it. And those people were some of the same people that I was reading in Omni when I was a little kid trying to get mm. stuff all going. Um, but enough people like that down the years had enough encouraging things to say that I was able to continue developing it. And it, it feels good. It feels like, I feel like the little girl that ate the whale in this Shel Silverstein poem. When she yeah. Was, and she's just sitting there with a big smile on her face and she says, I did it because I said I was going to do it. One bite at a time. Exactly. So when, when is it set? When is the story set? It's all over the map. It starts out in the very, very far future. It was in, That part was inspired by Walter Miller's Mechanical for Leibowitz and Arthur okay. Clarke's Against the Fall of Night. And again, all of these other things that I had access to when I was a little kid. And God's bless the people that made sure I had access to them. But it's super post-apocalyptic. We've already blown ourselves off the map with nukes once. And the civilizations that have gotten back together, they're all really weird and super pan-ethnic and fun. I'm mm. doing more with them in the final book, uh, Bastards of the Universe, when we return to that future. But again, we had we had nuked ourselves once, and the next big milestone that we got to was a perpetual source of clean energy. And mm. one person who is a, kind of a hacker and involved with the project manages to hack the thing and try to become a brand new god with it that's the crux of the story but once we get out of the future and the time travel stuff starts the time travel is real robust if you like cage baker or neil asher or any of those real slam bang time travel type stories like cowl or any of baker's company stuff it's it's like that but once the time travel starts it's set in all different eras we start out in a linear sense, well, with Alphabet of Lightning, we get a glimpse of the future, and then we go right back to the 1920s, the first character that is one of these future people trying to reincarnate in an ancestral body. We follow mm. But, yeah, there are all different eras because the hacker, the guy that tried to hack the clean energy generator and become a brand new god, as I mentioned, he shows up in all different eras with this dastardly little plan of how to do that. People following him have to follow him to every era there is and kill him. <laughs> yeah, so that's instant series potential. And I knew that when I was 11 and came up with the idea. I was like, this thing's going to take me my whole life. But um, I'm real stoked about the 1789 stuff. That was hard to get right. That was when... The Crooked Man, the hacker character in question, that was when he came, he found a host body he could sort of use or at least figured out how to how to stay in a similar area with enough host bodies. Okay. Yeah, looking forward to it. Now, you also wrote uh, a recent short story I, I really enjoyed uh, in uh, called Doom Scroll. <laughs> I'm so glad everybody liked that. This has gotten a lot of play. Um, so so uh, it, for those who have not seen it yet, uh, it, it's basically, I mean, I knew what it was going in. I had to look at it several times ago. 
you know, did I click on the wrong website? <laughs> um, it, it, it looks like a newsfeed. Interstone loves doing those kind of fakes with me. For some reason, when I get an idea for a good fake like that, the last one was the John Lennon story that I mentioned. They did it as a fake, well, it was set up as a fake column in Cream magazine, which did not exist in the year 2000 that I was writing about, but it was totally a fake Lester Bangs column in Cream. And I got Bangs's voice so right and all the little encyclopedic stuff of what was going on at the time. People are like, Who's putting cream in inner zone? What even is this? This is a misprint. <laughs> it's the same with Doom Scroll. What Doom Scroll is, there was a classic horror story that changed my understanding of horror. H.F. Arnold's The Nightwire. My, my good online friend, the editor Marvin Kay, put it in his uh, collection, Masterpieces of Terror in the Supernatural. What Nightwire was, it was about these two telegraph operators, and one of them catches like a zombie apocalypse thing happening out in the Midwest that has to do with an interstellar source. And he's getting the telegraph feeds of all this as it's happening. I don't want to spoil that one or mine, but what Arnold did with that was so brilliant. I was reading it one night and I was like, this could happen more in the online age. It would just be a little bit different. This could happen right on Twitter. Why don't I do it on Twitter? And Gareth Jelly was responsible for the uh, for the formatting, the editor of Interzone. He is just like my new best friend in so many ways with a lot of the stuff that we're doing. But he went through and coded the whole thing to look just like Twitter. He said that he had some sort of, I don't know what the program's name was, but there was some sort of a design program where he could shortcut a lot of things that would just make it look like that instantly. Yeah, it, it looks great. Yeah, it, it looks amazing. Halloween, uh, and then it's done. I see digital after that. What, what I thought it reminded me a lot of way Ambrose Bierce used to write some of his stories as if they were newspaper articles, and that's that's what it reminded me of. Church, that's a real compliment. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Now, um. You know, you've said that you know you, you obviously have a, a a very good fictitious background, and you're really you know part of the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. So I'm just going to kind of throw this question out, see what you well, think. In past years, I haven't been involved with the festival for a while because I haven't had any books to sell, and sure. my disability's been keeping me at home a little bit. But I have been involved. With it. And, 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 but but with that background you got a pretty good understanding of weird fiction. For sure. And so my question is, and, and what is weird fiction to you? It has to have that interstitial edge of not just being horror for shock or not just being noir for shock or really anything, but weird fiction to me. I mean, I could go off about Gael Garcia Marquez or Jeff Vandermeer or anybody that I like to read, but that's putting it back to one way that a person did it. Weird fiction to me is a lens that takes it that extra step where you're not just experiencing the story, but you have no idea what the fuck is happening to yourself as a being. Like it has, it has warped your perspective that profoundly. It makes me think of something that great writer Stephen Graham Jones said about the process of writing in general. 
if it's something safe and cozy and comfortable, it's probably not what you should be working on. If you feel like you have any idea what you're doing, it's not what you should be working on. I feel like it's that way for readers, too. When you get to the new weird stuff, um, Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys, he pointed out that he wanted to go after people who were just coming to sit and have drinks and have a nice time. He would chase them through the crowd. He would chase them through the mosh pit because that was... He was. He wanted to shake them up and get his message across. And weird fiction does that by unnerving someone so completely that there's nothing else you could call it but that. My two cents adjusted for inflation. No, no. I, 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 so when I when you were discussing this, I was kind of thinking that maybe you know weird fiction has sort of a, a sense of awe or dread to it. Both. It can induce wonder and dread in equal measure. One person I think that does that epically is my pal Scott Nicole. He just came out with that new collection, and at my back I always hear from Warthorn. I've been re-re-re-reading that one enthusiastically. He's able to use magic for the gut punch of the horrifying thing that happens next, or vice versa. Mm. He has a real canny grasp of the whole spider robinson dictum of joy is directly to directly proportional to the pain which precedes it spider robinson said that and it's also true vice versa but scott can take the un- improbability and violence and the wonder and just switch them all so deftly that that's what makes his fiction really en- engaging he's been a huge inspiration to my work directly and indirectly dude likes to send me salsa in the mail, like real New Mexico salsa. Oh. <laughs> but yeah. you, you, you get fiction and salsa from him. You can't beat that. Beat that with a bat. Scott is an epic craftsman of a homie. Home, homemade salsa. Exactly. Sounds like. Exactly. Excellent. From scratch. But yeah, he has a real canny grasp on how to work that kind of angle where you have no idea what you're getting until the end of the story. I am extremely difficult to shock, and there's not a lot of sense of wonder in the story, The Croaker, but it manages to encompass all of that stuff that we were just talking about that I can, to such a point that I consider it one of the best stories I ever read in the English language. Oh, excellent. I really don't want to spoil that one, but yeah. anybody who once a hands-on uh, look at what I am nattering on about Reed, and at my back I always hear because he's got it down. <laughs> Excellent. Now, you know, so you're, you're you're writing about time travel. Now I'm going to kind of ask you to put on your sort of mental time-traveling helmet. For sure. And say, you know, where do you see horror and weird fiction going in the future? There will always be a place for them, and it exponentiates the more that all of these wonderful things like police brutality and climate change and all of our dirty little oil wars are exposed on the Internet, and we get to see what we're all really like up close and personal. The more media expands, the more the need for horror fiction and weird fiction and cosmic horror is going to amplify rather than become obsolete. Willem Pugmire said it on a panel with me once when he was you know, still with us. He goes, um, he goes, why are people so interested in cosmic horror? Turn on the news. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like that with all of the forms. 
how I see them changing is, of course, the way that any form changes um, as media grow and amplify and as generations warp and do their own thing just like the previous one did before them, you know, we're going to get new forms of it and new subgenres and whatever, but I think the biggest thing that we're going to see and that I really want to see in New Weird and Weird and Cosmic Horror and all of the other subfields is that people are growing less fearless. People, uh, black and indigenous persons of color, gay people, trans people, everybody who has a voice, the less that some voices are heard, it's a general rule that the more horrifying shit has happened to you, yeah. one of those people can really, really write. I, the first name that popped to my mind was Haley Piper, but there are billions. And as, you know, again, as, as information is disseminated in new ways and as our means of consuming it change, there's going to be need there's going to need to be some powerful people at the reins, some powerful writers and powerful storytellers. And I see them every time I turn on Twitter. I see them every time I go to an event around here. Um, kids are all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and sort of, again, to sort of maybe throw out Ambrose Bierce, he was definitely shaped and he was writing to an audience that was shaped by the civil war. Sure. And from a cultural point of view and, you know, uh, a lot of, um, I think, writers, early writers my age, were shaped by the Cold War, even if they weren't writing directly about the Cold War. I think the writers in the future are going to be shaped about the last four years. And they need people who can put it into perspective, people who are on enough middle sides of enough lines that they can sit there and say, wait, no, I actually have some experience of this. It's the, the past four years bring up a lot of examples, but I'm thinking in particular, and I don't want to get down this whole rabbit hole like too much because we only got so much time, but yeah. in particular the George Floyd protests. People yeah. who were actually on the street sucking down tear gas and involved have a different perspective than people who were getting the whole play-by-play -play from one news source or another on their couches. And yeah. people who were involved need to be writing about it. I have a series going that Interzone has optioned. They haven't bought it yet because you know, they don't have the budget of one of the big boys, but they have optioned this series called I Am Legion. And apart from it being a really dark Marvel-style superhero story set in Portland, the thing that I'm most stoked about is that there is so much protest material in it. Mm. It exponentiates as you go. And I am honored to be able to share that with younger people. I'm honored to be able to share that with people my age. And I'm honored to be able to share that with boomers who maybe didn't, you know, didn't get all the information. Let's be diplomatic and say. But it's like yeah. it's like that with all kinds of issues what was Harry Truman's great phrase? He called these things a bully pulpit. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's, that's a little, I don't know that I necessarily go along with the 
choice of words, but a megaphone, a microphone, an amplifier, a, and a damn good one. So, you know, I, I, I do kind of regret that we are kind of running out of time here, but there's definitely a question I really want to ask you, and this is kind of our signature question. So if you could be in charge of any creative project, any medium, you didn't have to worry about budgets, you didn't have to worry about trademarks, in any form, what's your dream project? With no restrictions, that one is almost a no-brainer. We just lost Peter Straub not too long ago. I'm yeah. still fucked up about that. Uh, he was a huge influence. But if I could work my will in that sense, like somebody threw a bunch of money at Outcast and told them to make the movie Idlewild and just go have fun, like something like that, I would do a good, beautiful respectful screen adaptation of Peter Straub's Coco. Mm, okay. I've only heard people, I've only heard fan people make noises about it. I never heard any production people make noises about it. That yeah. was just absolutely head unzipping. Manny Dengler is life. Manny Dengler is my spirit human. <laughs> and I want to I would love to be able to put that on film the way that I saw all that stuff in my head, especially the way the New York stuff, the way that the action started to ramp up and get a little equalizer like there at the end in New York. I okay. able to put that to film. Okay, excellent. Well, I would love to see that too. Now, for our people listening, uh, like I said, your book should be coming out or will be coming out on the 7th of November, correct? Correct. And where can we'll make sure we have the links, but where are some places they can get that as well as other of your uh, projects? BrokenEyeBooks.com uh, has the pre-order link already. It is also available at Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble. I'm going to be talking to Michael Powell uh, pretty soon and Kevin Sampsell. Maybe see if we can get it in at Powell's in the small press. I will be putting my forehead to the floor 30 paces back for that one. Some other links to my stuff. Interzone will be having them. Uh, I, they have bought six of my longer short stories so far, and we're talking about two other novel series and two collections. Mm. Watch Interzone. Doom Scroll is up at IZ Digital. As far as other links, there are so many. And now I feel like Johnny on the spot. Raphael Pizzella, just um, in one of I'm, I cut that. Raffaele Pizzella, the Italian editor um, of Cosmic Horror, just did um, an anthology a year or so back called The Blackstone Tales for Lovecraftian Summonings. I have a mm. Version of the music of Eric Zahn in there called Lesson. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good one. Raffaele puts out just dynamite anthologies. I think he's up to three or four by now in that collection. He's also a very accomplished industrial musician, but that's a good one. And I will send you some more links because my brain is whiting out. There are so many. That's fine. Well, yeah. If you got links, we'll, if you got links, we'll post them. Yeah, I should have such problems. 
Well, thank you so much and hope to have you on the show again soon. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you both for having me on. I always love this. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay, and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram. Check it out. Uh, they've got some really good summer deals, and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh... Submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Oh, man. It is so early in the morning on a Sunday. I have not gotten a huge amount of sleep, but what I have gotten a huge amount of is Copper Cow Coffee. I'm recovering from being super duper sick and drinking some rosemary. Uh, it's 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 rosemary latte, but I, I, I like threw the cream packet away. Not a big fan of dairy. Uh, and it's just this rosemary coffee that's just making me feel a whole lot better. It's it's not like medicine. It's it's it just makes me feel good. Just be like, oh yeah, baby. You know so what it's worth? There is this argument that comfort for your soul is going to make your body. So, yeah, if it's this is your comfort, you know, yeah. and it's going to make it easier for you to heal. That's not a medical claim. Please no. don't come after me. No, 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 no. no. But, yeah, there's a good argument that if, you know, 
your, your, your soul feels better, your body will follow. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. And I've just had this, and I'm feeling good. It's it's a nice, it's, ugh. It, it, it tastes better than cough syrup, I'll tell you that. And, uh, but yeah, no, no, copper cow. Especially cow. with so many of us, you know, either kids or work, you, you just, you gotta, you gotta do stuff, so you might yeah. as well feel good. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. But uh, speaking of feeling good, you know what always makes me feel good, Dave? Um, the stock market going up? No. Uh-oh. Talking the about role-playing now. games. Well, I think I stepped on you. What was it? Talking about role-playing games. Oh, well... Let's feel good about talking about role-playing games. All right. Okay. All right. Cue the music. Hey, Dave, before we get talking about D&D on D&D, I I heard you're playing, and we may have to cut this out in case you haven't, like, really started yet. Uh, Have you had a chance to start playing... Uh, cyberpunk yet? Uh, so the cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Yeah. Who'd have thunk that a five year old computer that you know I basically used for doing emails and writing uh-huh. wouldn't support it? Oh. I thought it was, but it kept crashing. So okay. uh, I ended up. I, I may update my computer, but uh, I, I gifted it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, I still suggest you play some. Uh, you probably have a computer that is still well enough to play, like, Fallout New Vegas, which is one of my favorite games of all time. So So I will, I will have to try that. I, I say try that. Learn how to use a uh, keyboard and mouse and then be amazing at, uh, at at Cyberpunk 2077 when you get a updated computer. Yeah. Kind of kind of like uh, you know uh, practice because it's it's very similar in uh, the way that you do it. It's in the way that you do it. I think is what he was singing about. But yeah, uh, don't 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 get burned though. I won't. Okay. Uh, don't get uh, charmed, though. I won't. Don't get confused so which, which and damaged guys. and dazed and deafened and despondent, though. And what? Dazed and confused. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about conditions in D&D, uh, like, you know, getting blinded, which is uh, creature can't uh, see. There's bloodied where uh, you're like below half your hit points, I believe. Yes, and th- there's other ones too, like prone, sure, visible, yeah. Apt. And what conditions are, and we kind of hinted it. It's basically translating into mathematical rules. Mm-hmm situations. Yeah. So I go outside today and I'm cold, I put on an extra jacket. Yeah. Well, 
or in terms I got a minus one until I increased my you know my warmth. So they're basically word problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I I I currently am dealing with conditions of being cold, so I put on extra layers. I also I'm not bloodied, I'm not blind. Well, I am slightly blind because I don't have glasses. Um, I am confused, or am I dazed? I, I, I don't know, but um, due to the fact that I'm sick and on a lot of cold medication, um, I am fatigued. Uh, I might have, yeah, I because of my cold uh, I, I am tipsy, but not drunk. So let me see what else, what else, what else? Um, re relaxation, no. Rested, restrained, stunned, unconscious. Yeah, no, I think I'm just dealing with um, exhaustion and uh, confusion and that other thing that I talked about. But there's a lot of other things going on, Dave. Sure, and, and I think conditions were an attempt to codify. Um, and, and it probably started on third uh, edition, but definitely in fifth. I mean, players have, I mean, Game Masters, Dungeon Masters have always done this. Well, it's slippery. You got a minus two to your, uh, you know, your decks to cross that board. So. Game Masters have always done this, and they've done it either A, because they think it's realistic, or B, the players are just making them mad because they're just cutting through all their monsters and NPCs and don't want to kill the players, but they want to make it tougher. And what 5e has done is more of a attempt to codify it. Okay. All right. Do you have a favorite condition that you like to uh, toss out at people? Well, um, so I think one of the most – and I think a lot of us from, that grew up with AD&D, mm -hmm. even though there were conditions and obviously there were a lot of pages, oh, yeah. we're not as used to like applying them all the time. Okay. Um, and so I think – the one that is kind of maybe the most realistic, but also can kind of frustrating to the players, is exhaustion. Yeah. And that is just, you know, we tend to think of these characters, even the first level, as being able to do these Herculean feats and have no problem. But yeah, they got to get tired. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Frighten, and Frighten is kind of a difficult one, because for PCs, because we all want to think that we're not scared. Mm -hmm. And to some players, Frighten is almost as bad as, like, bringing characters to, like, one hit point. Okay. But it's a realistic, even, even, and where... Call of Cthulhu, I think, I mean, that's, insanity is as 
huge mechanic that the game is based on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you took both of mine. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, it's okay. Well, I think the two main ones. I think there are the two main ones. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I think Frightened is an amazing... I, I think Frozen, Frightened, and Fatigued are kind of like my three favorites. Uh, fatigue, you know, you're negative two on, like, all your rolls. Uh, frightened, as long as you're in line of sight, you can't willingly move closer to the source of fear. And Frozen, you, uh... Yeah, no, no, there's just so many things with Frozen that you can do, um, environmentally, magically, that it's just like, oh, Frozen is Stunned amazing. Sounds pretty close. Yeah. What, what was that last one? Done. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no, there's there's, there's a lot of, uh, like, I, I know people who are like, oh, I love intoxication or paralyzed or petrified or poisoned, but there's, there's, there's so many, and there's so many that are great, like relaxation, rested, that it's just like, oh, yeah, that's great, but it's like, the one I personally always, 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 always worry about is becoming unconscious because then you don't know where you're going to wake up. You don't know. As a, as a player. Yeah. yeah. As, a, as a DM or a game master, that's the easy one. You don't do anything. You, 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 you could, they can maybe roll to try to regain conscious, but you skip their turn. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, or you... As a DM, you do something that makes everyone unconscious. It's like you fill your savings throw. It's like a gas that has like a really high DC check. It's 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 a sleep gas, and then you wake up somewhere else. And who knows? That's that's when you get to end up taking part in a maze or a challenge of the champions or. Um, fight to the death against your cohorts or anything. It's 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 like if if people go unconscious, you can then do the weird stuff as a DM that you've wanted to do for like, you know, since junior high. And, and again, a forty year old scenario, but there's that back in the eighties they had the uh, that that slaver arc. Yeah. And the one with the, the had that really bright orange, you know, covering where, you know, it, the last one stops with everybody getting gassed mm-hmm. and the next one starts with them waking up in a room without their equipment. Yeah. 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 I was a big fan of a two, uh, uh, the, uh, attack of the slavers keep or whatever it was, but yeah. that was always my favorite. Anyway, but yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Unconscious, you can do so much stuff with unconscious and then put people into a place where you can apply other situation modifiers or just be like, oh, you wake up unconscious. I mean, you go unconscious and you wake up in a room without your weapons. You wake up in a room with uh, all of your magical abilities nullified. You don't see any ways to get in or out of this room, but you couldn't have been placed here unless it was teleportation. You know, and, and then they have to figure out to lift up this or 
you know, push a hole here or remove that block or whatever you want to do as, as, as a dungeon master, as a game, game master, as a keeper of arcane lore, whatever you want to call yourself and whatever game you're playing. I mean, I feel like this is kind of like a, uh, I don't know. It, it, it feels like kind of like a standard thing. It's like a character goes unconscious for some reason. Um, it drops whatever it has. Uh, automatically fails strength and dexterity. Um, you know, it, it can't do anything. They can't do anything. And, you know, that's that's when the PCs get put into the murder maze. That's when the PCs end up being, like, redressed in fancy clothes and left on a fancy couch in a fancy place or something like that. That's 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 when, you know, they're left naked and afraid in a outback steakhouse. No, in a, uh, you know, just, just like some sort of, like, desert wasteland or something. So, so my favorite PC unconscious story. Sure. We were playing, and so we had one tank, and he was a dwarf, and the rest of us were like thieves and wizards and clerics, and were kind of squishy. So he rushes out and he attacks goblins, whatever it is, and I can't remember. It was either a spell or a poison or something. So they they knocked him out. He was ahead of us, and he knocked the big old tank out. Yeah. But he still had a lot of hit points. But he was unconscious. And it was very difficult. He was just going through him, and the rest of us was very difficult. So uh, I shot the dwarf with a crossbow to wake him up. Yeah. Uh, one of my personal favorite unconscious stories is uh, I was a fighter who was then shot with a kind of like trank dart but yeah it was a poison dart and I fell down a hole and I like kept kind of falling and falling and falling and falling it's like I'd hit something and then I'd bounce off something and then I'd hit something else and I'd bounce off something else and I'd hit something else and I'd bounce off something else and I ended up falling down into a goblin stronghold but I was unconscious so I woke up um, in, in, in a, uh, smoker. Like I was, I was being Uh-oh. like, you know, cured and stuff like that. And they're just going to like take care of my guts and everything like that later. Uh, I woke up in a smoker, uh, stole a bunch of meat that I could identify as not human and, uh, fought my way out of a goblin stronghold. <laughs> Good yeah, slowly, like, being like, well, here's a knife. Okay, cool. Well, I don't need armor until... Okay, well, here's, like, some other human's armor, okay, and just, like, fought my way out. Like, not up, but kind of, like, out the side of, like, this uh, goblin stronghold and out into, like, the east and then, like, met up with my party and everyone's like what took you so long and i'm like i don't know but i got some sausage and that makes up for everything totally totally okay guess what what's that it ain't rain outside is it snowing yeah oh man that's crazy yeah oh well okay all right what it is but yeah
Okay. So back to the show, everyone. Uh, Farmer Dave reports that it is snowing outside in Oleander. So, hey, uh, meet you up at Dead Man's Hill, everyone. Um, I don't know what else we have to talk about. Oh, we also have to talk about poison. Poison is sort of a strange thing in that it is both a condition and a noun. I guess conditions are nouns, too. (laughs) Yeah. It's a thing that creates a condition. Definitely, definitely. So I know you know this because I think I've asked you this, but people listening may not. What's the difference between a poison and a venom? Uh, Poison is something you consume. Venom is something that consumes you. (laughs) That's like uh, if, if you get poked by something, if you get bitten by something, that's venom. So, like, contact versus ingestion or injury. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Injury versus uh, ingestion is is kind of the uh, thing. But you can also have contact with something, and I don't know if that's considered poison or venom. Or if you uh, inhale something, but... Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there, that's one thing. There is definitely, and, and I don't think it really matters for games, but you've got contact poison, you've got breath poison, uh, you know, you've got a lot of different ways to transmit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ingested, inhaled, contact, and injury are the, the, the four that I think of. Like. Yeah. Uh, assassin's blood is ingested while burnt uh, author fumes are inhaled. Crawler mucus is contact, but drow poison is injury. So, um, and 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 those are kind of like uh, the the uh, four first examples that all happen to be like different types. Like you've got essence of ether inhaled. Um, you've got uh, purple worm poison and serpent venom, which are both injury, uh, and you know truth serum, which is ingested. Uh, you know, and, and and they're just pretty much modifiers. You can make up your own stuff. It's like malice inhaled. A creature subjected to this poison must succeed a DC 15 Constitution or become poisoned for one hour. Uh, the poison creature is blinded. You, yeah, no, it's it, you come up with a DC constitution, DC whatever, versus whatever, and then you create, uh, you know, a creature is subject to this poison, DC 15 constitution, or becomes poisoned for 46 hours. The poison creature is incapacitated. Um, you, you can make up stuff. It's, it's not hard. And you base it off of something in the player's handbook or the DM's guide or anything like that. It's, it's poisons are poisons just like, uh, conditions are, are, are something that you use to slow down characters, alter their things, make it so that a character can do something to someone else that isn't, like, you know, it's like you create a poison to take down a creature that they couldn't 
previously take down or something that's like kind of like a bomb that when ingested um you know slows everyone down for x many or makes them sleep you, th- there's a lot of things you can do with with poison Dave? And, and in the dark ages mm-hmm. so historically poison was the equalizer yeah yeah and yeah that's why historically and not necessarily truly it was associated with women in the royal courts because they may not have the access to the weapons or upper body strength. Yeah. Poison was their equalizer. Yeah. Now, in reality, probably more men were poisoners than women. Mm-hmm. That's, and it's sort of, it's sort of that enemy that's there. It, it psychologically, we're so used to our characters hitting hit points. Yeah, we get worried, we get hit, we get low, we get worried about that, but. I think to most players, there's something even psychologically more shocking than po- than poison, than being chased out. Yeah. And I think the the most common poison that I've probably used in all the years I've game mastering is the poison needle trap on a, a lock. Ah. Most common one I've a used goodie, is... An oldie but a goodie. Uh, food poisoning, just common food poisoning. But that's because of the fact that I have like a background in food and it's it's just like people not preserving things and I'll be like, you're all at a, uh, a negative one because of the fact that you chose to like not do this thing specifically and you know i'm nitpicky like that and i'm you know i'm i'm the person who's like yeah no there's a difference between laser and plasma weapons and you have to know the difference between those two and how they operate so you are at a negative two when you use this you know it's uh, that's why players are look on the lookout for intentional poisoning sure definitely not necessarily unintentional poisoning no no, no, no. And it's 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 like, you know, if if you find a dead deer and you don't have if no one has survival skill and you find a dead deer, you know, it's like, well, how did the deer die? How long ago did it die? You know, you can use natural poisons to make your game a little bit more interesting, but then again, you also have like 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 you can like throw a pig down a well and poison um, you know, throw a couple pigs down a well, throw a couple people down a well, throw a couple uh, sheep down a well, and uh, poison a kingdom with just, like, putrid grossness. Absolutely. And, uh, again, we're going to see, you know, well poisoning is a real thing historically. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, it's part of a scorched earth. Mm-hmm. And so we think of, you know, poison as something that's used in the game, but it could be trying to get rid of the poison or find the cure for the poison could be an entire quest or campaign. Yeah, yeah. I feel like people are more apt to think of using a catapult 
for bioweapons when I'm like historically it's it's more about like poisoning an aqueduct system or poisoning a well or um yeah <laughs> poisoning a water source or uh uh like defiling a food source like sneaking into the food stores and introducing something and this is where you can like not only get into poisons but you can get into hallucinogens which brings us back to the horned man like if if you somehow introduce ergot into a city's grain system, you can have Narlethotep showing up as the horned man with elk horns, you know. Absolutely. Um, anyway, but <laughs> that's just me thinking all over the place, but yeah. All right. Well, it's coming to that time, Dave. Do you, do you have anything else to say about poisons? I think that we are poisoned out. All right. Well, hopefully we're not but you know what? We're the DMs, so we've got the antidote. All right, everyone. We will see you next week where we're going to be talking more about Narlethotep and more about Dungeons and & Dragons. And I hope you've had a good week. Uh, I'm recovering. Dave's having a good week, it sounds like. But, uh, Until I have to go out in this snow. Yikes. Yeah, no, I haven't even looked at it yet. I just, like, anyway, I'll talk about that later. All right, everyone, have yourself a good November, and check out the new updated stories on pgttcm.com, and also check out our sponsors. They help the show keep going, and if you don't want to buy any of that stuff, check out our t-shirts. We've got a bunch of cool t-shirts right now, and we will talk to you, and happy holidays, because I think... We're starting to head into those holidays, and we'll see you around, and you if evil you don't, clown. Make your own. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 early November. There needs to be more holidays during this season. So yeah, happy Sathakwas Day. All right, we'll talk to you later, everyone. Bye.